We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash BE. Welcome to Transformative Principal, where we interview real principals who are doing amazing things to help our students every single day. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter, at Jethro Jones. We've got a great interview for you today. Today, I'm interviewing Alice Peck. This is the first part of my interview with her. She's currently the principal at Oakdale Elementary School in my school district, Kane School District. And she is an inspiration from the first day that I met her. I have admired her and looked up to her and I have tried to be as much like her as I can be. She is outgoing, happy, positive, and a great leader. Someone that I would like to emulate. Um, She's really awesome. You're going to love what she talks about today. Uh, she recently got a new position at a Title I school, and she reflects on what she's done at her school for the last four and a half years, and I think you're going to really like it. Um, so, first of all, just uh, tell people who you are and where you have been, how you've gotten to where you're at, and mm-hmm. and what's going on in, in your life right now. Okay. Now. Okay, now. <laughs> good. Okay. Well, my name is Alice Peck, and I am presently at Oakdale Elementary in the Canyon School District as an elementary principal. Um, I have been here now for four, I want to say four and a half years, not quite half <laughs> I came in April of my first year, um, which is a little unusual to start mm-hmm. the year in the middle of the year. Um, but I did move here from Texas. Uh, at the time, I was an assistant principal at an elementary school in Texas, Flower Mound, Texas. Um, and prior to that, I was an assistant principal at a Title I middle school. Um, 
prior to that, I was a special ed teacher, um, taught third grade, um, but primarily um, my experience was with special education students. Great. Um, so what brought you to Utah from Texas? Oh, it's a great love story. <laughs> That's good. My husband and I actually went to junior high and high school together oh, wow. in Texas. Uh, parted ways. Um, he moved eventually here, um, and I stayed in Texas. We reconnected many, many years later, began dating long term or long distance, uh, decided that that wasn't feasible <laughs> because the price of airline tickets went way up. So uh, the question was, who was going to move? And I'm a very adventurous soul. It's hard to believe that I'd never lived anywhere but Texas. Mm -hmm. um, so I immediately volunteered and have just loved every minute of being here. That's good. So mm -hmm. your adventurous soul part, and we were mm -hmm. texting last week about this interview. Yes. Um, one of the things that you said was that you're willing to try anything and do new things and, and talk about how that relates to you leading a school and okay. think about the balance of trying new things and mm -hmm. overwhelming teachers and putting too much on them and making them think that nothing is going to stay the same. How do you balance that being adventurous yourself? Great question. I have found that um, contrary to popular belief, a lot of my teachers feel the same way that I do. Hmm. And I think that they worry sometimes that we get into ruts or we don't look outside of the box for new and innovative ways to approach what we're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the key there, though, is um, A, to not try to be a one-man show as a leader. And I think in our district, we do a fabulous job with our building leadership teams coming mm -hmm. together and discussing uh, collectively what it is we hope for our students, what, um, what are the barriers to getting there, um, what we can do differently to try to break outside of those barriers, knowing that, you know, trying something doesn't mean that forever it's it's done, it's in cement, um, and that if we need to take a step back, we can. But I think what we have found is in thinking collectively about shooting for the stars, mm -hmm. uh, that we have allowed ourselves to try things that we wouldn't have normally tried, knowing that, yes, it's going to be a little bit of work, but the outcome could be so different. Right. That's really awesome. Mm -hmm. So how do you get your your teachers to say, we need to step back from this? How does that happen? Well, I think, first of all, I set that tone in our meetings by letting them know that every single one of us, while we wear different hats at this school, and I guess I should sort of back up a little. Sure. Um, my philosophy is that every single person in this building has an extremely important role to play in the lives of our students, whether it's my custodian, whether it's my lunch worker, whether it's a reading aide, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a principal. Um, and so while we wear different hats and we have different roles to play, we all have very important voices. And um, I think it's just really important that they feel safe, that they know when we get in our meetings that I may not always agree with them and they may not always get exactly what they want but I am here to listen and to attest to the fact that I am not the smartest person in the room, mm -hmm. that collectively we're all smarter when we put our heads together. And um, honestly, I think that's been crucial here is that we 
we felt comfortable saying or having those conversations that may not be popular or may not be embraced, but we're having them. And that's where the change comes. Right. So teachers, I would say as a, as a whole, are pretty much people pleasers. They want to please their teachers in elementary and middle and high school. That's how they did well in those levels. And then they went to college. They want to please their professors. They come to school and they want to please their principal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I think sure. that's a, a positive quality that makes them love their students and love their job a lot. Um, but it can sometimes be difficult for them to say, well, I don't think this is a good thing. And if you disagree mm-hmm. with me, that I must be a horrible person. How do you overcome those communication issues? You know, time and trust and building relationships and having the teachers watch each other ask me those questions, challenge me on things, and watch the outcome of that, mm-hmm. that, that I'm not going to bark, that I'm not going to say it's my way or the highway, that we can have some real thoughtful dialogue, and for them to see that sometimes we, we thought our thought was a good one until we had the dialogue, and then the other person was able to change our thinking based on whatever information they brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Other times, they realized that um, they just gave me a wonderful idea, and we're going to go with it. So I think just that time and building those relationships and that trust is really what, what comes about. But it, it doesn't happen overnight. We, you know, no. it's a work in progress. Yeah, and it's I, what I hear you saying is that it's something that, you're constantly doing absolutely it's not like you arrived at some point and now (laughs) now we can do anything but you're constantly readjusting and and talking to teachers again and making sure that they understand where you're coming from that you understand where they're coming from yes yeah i think that's a really good old-fashioned communication yeah (laughs) funny how that works even in today's world yeah um so Let's talk a little bit about what were some of the big things that you noticed when you came from Texas to Utah. I know things are bigger in Texas, first of all, but <laughs> there there are a lot of differences. What were some of the things education-wise that you um, were either frustrated by or really excited about or just confused about? I wouldn't say I was frustrated or confused. Um, I was fascinated. I think I came from a really unusual perspective. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people start and end their, not always, but a lot of people start and end their career in one state. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I came from Texas, a lot of the things that um, the new Canyon School District was discussing as important things that we needed to attack right away were things that we had been discussing in Texas for a few years prior mm-hmm. to me being here. So it was really kind of a nice way to look at where Canyon's district wanted to be and having come from a place that had gotten there right. and to see that gap close. And it has. It's It's been an amazing ride. This last four years, what our school district has accomplished is just amazing. Um, the big thing, I think, um, in Texas, our state testing was incredibly high stress, high stakes. Mm -hmm. We had students that were, um, if they did not pass the test, they were not promoted to the next grade level. And so there were some things that we, as as a district, or as a state, 
had to put in place in order to help those students to be successful. Um, and without going into a whole lot of detail of how that happened, there were, there were a lot of um, support systems if you didn't pass the test to then um, reteach and um, work with those students and then test them again to help them become successful. Um, but I think what happened as a result of that was that we had a much higher rate of kids meeting that, um, that passing standard, or as we would call it here, um, now, whether or not that truly um, equated to a higher proficiency um, right. is, is up for debate. Um, but in terms of uh, the test being the alpha and the omega, mm -hmm. it was very high stakes. And we closed down schools for the entire fifth grade for several weeks. Even students that weren't testing state testing were mock testing in the younger grades to get ready for the state testing that they would take when they were old enough. Um, and tests would go all day. Kids would have from 9 o'clock in the morning until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and even longer if they needed it. Wow. There were days we stayed until the last student finished the test. So that, for me, was a big paradigm shift when I came here and realized that the whole community wasn't going to fail the test. <laughs> Um, so that was the big deal, and I think probably, um, I don't know how to articulate this because my background is not so much in the high school, um, but I think that the um, graduation requirements were a little more stringent mm -hmm. in Texas, and I was pleased to see the, the different types of diplomas that are available to the students right. now in our school district. Um, so that was that was a big part of it, and I think also um, very pleased um, with the change in what I see as safety protocol and procedures. When I first came to this school, safety was very not. I don't want to say it was lax because I think it was very. We took the safety here seriously, um, but I came from schools that. They were locked. You couldn't mm -hmm. get in. You had to go through a metal hallway, and there was a little window, and you were able to talk to someone through that window through a buzzer. Uh, and I came here, and people could just openly walk into the office. So I think things have evolved from a safety perspective here, too. I know that's not necessarily educational, but it's viably it yeah. important. So, <laughs> And it is important to keep our kids safe. And, Absolutely. And if they're, if they're not safe, then that's a very bad thing. Um, so you, you are now, um, finishing up here at Oakdale. You got yes. a new position at East Midvale Middle or Elementary School, excuse me. Yes. And, um, you're going to start that at the new school year, effective July 1st this year. Correct. Um, what are two or three of the things that you are most proud of accomplishing here at Oakdale? Well, I think that there are a lot of, you know, a lot of things that we've accomplished here. When I first came to Oakdale, I asked my staff, point blank, tell me what the best part of Oakdale is and tell me what it is we need to focus on. Without a doubt, one of the things that they wanted us to focus on was behavior. And it just so happened that our district was uh, piloting the PBIS program for behavior. Uh, our school was not one of the pilot schools, but I asked very kindly if we could piggyback <laughs> off 
of yeah. the program. And so they did allow us to do that. And what made us unique, I think, is that we as a staff, not as a committee of a few, mm -hmm. we sat down and we rolled up our sleeves and we said, okay, what do we want this to look like? And I have to tell you, our behavior has done a complete 180. Mm -hmm. uh, you walk through the halls here, it's quiet. Kids have bubbles in their mouths. Um, and this isn't something I did. This is something the teacher said, we need a roadmap. We need support. We need to make this happen. So I'm really very proud of the PBIS efforts mm -hmm. uh, and where we started and where we've come from. The other thing I'm proud of is our arts program at Oak Door. Um, you know, I really firmly believe that education as a whole has been very, and not completely, but very heavily focused on left brain thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I just read a great book um, that says, um, in the future, the right brainers are going to rule the world. Yeah. <laughs> and so I really think that while that may not necessarily be true, I think that we need to start focusing in education more on both the left and the right brain. And uh, the arts program at Oakdale has just been a huge success. We started Arts Night here my first year, and it's just grown in leaps and bounds. Uh, we took a, an arts grant program, mm -hmm. the Beverly Taylor Sorensen program. Uh -huh. We grew it five years of music this year, visual arts. So I just really think that's something special that has to happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I talked with a student today who was in my office crying, and he was upset because he didn't have enough time at school to draw. And he's a little third grader, super cute kid, and I just, I thought, how can this little boy articulate that he needs time to draw? I just... And that would help him feel better and not do what it was that got him in trouble and he is needing to come to my office today. And, you know, at, at our school, at least, that's been something that's been very difficult for us to implement. And with mm -hmm. as much focus as we have on, on the left brain mm -hmm. um, what's it, subjects, right. it's, it's very difficult to squeeze that in and so mm -hmm. I'm glad that you found that I have a question about the PBIS and okay. you said that we as a faculty rolled up our sleeves and got people yes. what did that look like what kinds of things did you have to do to get everybody to to roll their sleeves up and start working great question well the first thing I did because I was not a PBIS expert Alan Whitmore from our wonderful EBL department yes. in our school district come out and do an overview of what PBIS is. And more importantly, what the research shows about the effects of a positive behavior intervention system in mm -hmm. a school. Um, so while the teachers already believed that or wanted that, once they got that background information and the research, they then were very excited. We then sat down in the library in a group of 20, or mm -hmm. however many there were of us, and we decided to list the, the areas of the school that caused the most difficulties with behaviors and what were some of the things that um, we felt like we could attack immediately to make things better. Um, so I'd like to say in the first two days, we just knocked it all out and everything mm -hmm. was perfect. But we actually created our our matrix, our rules, in the first two days. 
uh, for all the different areas of our school. And then we just picked one area that we wanted to focus on. And we implemented that for six weeks. And then we all came back together again and we said, okay, what worked? What didn't work? Um, And it just kind of grew from there. So I think, um, you know, in terms of just sitting around and saying, what is our number one priority? What do we want to see change? And then actually following it Mm -hmm. and then taking that next step. The next time we all got together again, it's like, okay, that was so great. Let's take it to the next level. Right. And there's real power in that, too. We we often, I feel, want to, you know, start something and get it done and mm-hmm. check it off our list. And it takes time to go through these processes, especially when you're changing something with so many human beings involved. Right. It takes time to actually do it and to be able to reflect on it. And so mm-hmm. what you may not remember, but what what did you start on? What was that first thing that you focused on? I'm trying to remember. I want to say it was it was either cafeteria or re, I think it was recess actually, and because we had the most office referrals for recess, mm-hmm. and so we felt like if we could get uh, the recess under control, that that would be a really good starting point. Um, and the neat thing is, is that we included our recess areas. Mm-hmm. And we included our lunch cafeteria manager. We included our custodian. They are. They were all involved in teaching those rules to our mm-hmm. students. But, yeah, I think playground is where we started because that's where we had the most problem. Right. So. And so you, you tackled the most difficult Absolutely. area and the one that was giving you the most grief. Right. And so you took a big risk at that time and you got some big rewards from that as mm-hmm. well what did it look like when your uh, custodian and cafeteria workers and recess aides were participating in teaching the kids how did you train them and how did they then teach the kids themselves okay so um actually once our staff created the matrix um, we created posters put them all over the school so that every one of us myself the secretary were all aware of what those matrix rules mm-hmm. are but then i did pull those individuals in and we did sort of a one-on-one training where we talked about what we wanted the kids in friendly terms to understand. Uh, And then we did rotations throughout Mm -hmm. the school where the kids actually went out on the playground with the recess aides. And the kids saw the recess aides were the authority figures out there. So, so important that they were the ones giving the training to the students and not someone else. Right. Um, so basically, yes, we called them in, we trained them, and then we let them train the students. Wow. Yeah. So giving them that responsibility and saying, you're the authority in this mm-hmm. area, mm-hmm. Um, helped communicate to the students that yes. that wasn't just, you know, some other adult that you didn't really have to listen to because it's not my teacher. Absolutely. But taught them that, yes, you need to pay attention to these people. They're the ones who are making the decisions for your safety out here. And they're the ones who are going to enforce whatever rules and consequences and plans right. we have in place. Right. That's really powerful. And I'm, I'm glad to hear that you do that. Um, we do something similar at my school, and we've, we've seen great success with that as yes. well. And it makes, it, it makes those people appreciate their jobs a little bit more because yes. they feel like they are the ones in control. And mm-hmm. it also helps them um, feel confident that they know what kids should and shouldn't be doing. Absolutely. And and I'm sure that you saw that also, that 
the recess aid saw, well, these kids were play fighting and nobody got hurt, so it wasn't maybe it wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. But you know, if you know what the rule is and you know we don't play fight, then anytime somebody's play fighting, it doesn't matter. That's Absolutely. the wrong behavior. Absolutely. So, and that consistency piece is crucial too. None none of the adults are guessing right. whether or not this is something they should bring to me or whether they should have. I mean, it's a very cut and dry mm-hmm. and consistent plan. Right. So how did you determine what things would be brought to you and what things would stay just be dealt with by the recess aide or the classroom teacher? How did you how did that process well, work? Well, and that's a whole other story. Our our building leadership team sat down last year and we uh, came up with an officer floor plan and mm-hmm. we looked at you know, incidences that were minor versus the ones that were major. And so we've used that consistently across the school in every setting, whether it's in the cafeteria, mm-hmm. whether it's on the playground, whether it's in the classroom. Um, but again, that was a building leadership team kind of uh, effort. And it was based a lot on, you know, the, the issues that um, we felt um, and the district feels. They're non-negotiables in terms of behaviors. Some things are automatic come mm-hmm. to me um i think where we had the where more of the questions came up was it was that gray matter but right. having created this this office form it, it's just really kind of cut down on any confusion and but it, but it works for the recess aid just like it works for the cafeteria meal right so um just to be a little bit of a devil's advocate okay what uh what's the big deal about a form i mean how <laughs> what does that even how does that help why would uh-huh. that even matter to a student or to a teacher? Explain why why that is meaningful. Well, forms get put into graphs and charts <laughs> that we put uh, in the computer. And I think what we find is that if we continue to have issues in certain parts of the school or with certain behaviors, having those charts and graphs that, that track and tra- you know, the trends of the mm-hmm. behavior whether it's happening in the cafeteria or in the hallway, uh, gives all of us, you know, kind of a starting point for that dialogue of what are we doing right, what what needs to be tweaked, what needs to look different. So the form is just a way for the teacher dealing with the situation to immediately write down what the situation is, where it occurred, mm-hmm. and, and then we use that information, um, you know, to look at and determine whether or not CBIS needs to be tweaked or if we're on the right track. So explain how you use that information. What does that look like? How often do you look at it? How often do you Mm -hmm. discuss it? How often do you use that to make other decisions? Well, you know what? I will be really honest with you, Jeff. We don't have a lot of discipline problems at Oakdale. (laughs) I couldn't say that once upon a time, but I can tell you in all honesty right now, my discipline folder is extremely thin. I'm happy to pull it out and show it to you. But, um, It'll hurt my feelings. No, I'm just saying that um, I think, and that's what you want, right? Mm-hmm. You want to work yourself out of having to deal with problems. Um, so I think in the beginning we looked at it quite a bit, um, and now it's on an as-needed basis. Mm-hmm. We have started our problem-solving teams this year, and we really sit down at a grade level grade levels at a time, and we look at a lot of things. We look at our Tier 1 instruction. We look at our struggling students, both behaviorally and academically. And so that data right now comes into play um, 
much more in those types of scenarios. Mm-hmm. Whereas before uh, we were looking, uh, we had a big problem. And now that the problem is much smaller, mm-hmm. it's it's not quite as intense or beefy in terms of reporting out that information. Right. And now probably you're at the point where you you have so little to deal with that when students are being disruptive more often than others mm-hmm. or doing things that are worse than others, then you have the ability to see that quicker Absolutely. and prevent it quicker as well. Well, and the behavior is can be looked at in the same way as the academics with your tier one, tier mm-hmm. two, and tier three. And what we find is most of our energy, if we're going to have behavioral problems, are with our tier one, tier three students. So we're aware of, of what's going on with those students, and we've been working diligently to try to support them mm-hmm. with their behaviors and their choices. So we see less and less of that tier one trouble uh, and have more time to focus on right. the behaviors. Yeah. So um, do you happen, off the top of your head, happen to know how many officer pearls you had your first year here and how many you you've had this year where that is coming you know i i'm gonna want to say my first year we were and it's funny because i came from a middle school where it was in the hundreds yeah (laughs) um so it's all in perspective but i think my first year i had i'm gonna say around 50 Mm -hmm. whereas today if i were to pull my folder i have maybe Wow. So, um, but again, you have to look, you can't look at that in a bubble because mm-hmm. I may have 10, but that may entail three or four kids. Right. Um, whereas my 50, the first year may have entailed 50, mm-hmm. may have entailed 20, who knows, mm-hmm. you know. So it's not quite that cut and dry. And I think that's where your, your graphs and your charts come into play. And you really look at the overall picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's very. I I find that very exciting. I mm-hmm. think other people may also. But um, so now that you're at this point where you've got most of your big problems covered, what's what's the next step for Oakdale? I know you're not going to be here, but if you were <laughs> going to be here, what would you be doing next? In terms of behavior, or mm-hmm. just in terms, in terms of. of of behavior, maybe because behavior is done now, sure. not done, but sure. you know we have a good grasp on it. What, where do we focus our energies next? Well, let's stick with behavior because I don't think you ever rest on your laurels with this. Right. Um, I think one of the challenges in getting things in place and having things run smoothly is to maintain that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we kind of ran into, um, not so much this year, but last year. Um, you get things humming along, and then your teachers get bored with your positive rewards, your mm-hmm. kids get bored with those, or, you know, it's just nice to shake things up. And so perhaps, uh, and we've talked about this in our staff meetings, maybe changing up the way we celebrate mm-hmm. our positive behaviors. Um, the other step I think that would be nice um, is for us to videotape all the different matrices next year because what we found is we have new students that come in throughout the year and how nice it would be for them to, as part of their introduction to Oakdale, be able to sit down and watch the matrix. And also for our teachers, if we ever felt like we needed a refresher at any moment, we could pull out those videos. So maybe that would be a nice next step. Um, But I think um, 
you know, it, it's just like your academics. The only thing worse than having low scores is having high scores mm-hmm. because regardless of where you are, you're constantly at work to either improve or to maintain. So right. I think maintaining is going to be the name of the game for you mm-hmm. and make you really score. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast. Please subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher, and please feel free to give us a rating on Stitcher Radio or on iTunes so that we can help spread the word about how much we're learning in this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Do you want to simplify your school's technology? save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.